Welcome back to the Rockman Power Hour, a podcast where we talk about all things amazing in pop culture, and we speak to some of the most interesting people in music, movies, um, you name it, we've got them on the show. And this week, Ryan, we've got an incredible, incredible guy. Um, interesting, been there, done it, uh, has has had his, you know, his hands in all kinds of uh, influential music. I mean, you know, founding member of the Sex Pistols wrote all of the important songs on Nevermind the Bollocks. Now he's a touring member of Blondie and he's got a solo career. Also had a ton of stuff that he's done in between all of that. Um, so Glenn Matlock is on the podcast this week. Are you excited? Uh, he's been there, done that and has a rock and roll hall of fame award. Apparently. Yeah. And we're going to see that in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, of course I'm excited. Uh, I saw Glenn play live a few times, uh, in Montreal doing his acoustic gigs. And it was really cool to, uh, actually have a little bit more time to reconnect because, but here's the thing and shout out to, uh, Ben Kalman who, uh, wrote, a really cool play called uh, Vicious Circles about uh, the I remember Sex that. Pistols. Yep. Ben is a historian, yeah, and he loves the Sex Pistols so much. And he was there at that gig too, and he got some vinyl signed. And uh, Ben is uh, Ben's a great guy. I'm so happy to have. I'm so happy to know him. Here I am shouting you out on the podcast. But um, uh, this whole interview is for you, Ben. Absolutely. Ah, amazing. Yeah, he is a good dude. I really, really like him. Mm. Um, Okay, so listen, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, let's thank some of uh, the incredible people um, and companies that help keep the wheels on the Rockman Power Hour and uh, our title sponsor, Heartbeat Hot Sauce, just a great, great hot sauce company out of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Ryan's happy because uh, you're getting some sauce. Yes, we've placed our order and uh, we're going to be getting some uh, some new stuff because you got to re-up, right? You're you're, you're a little low. (laughs) Yeah. In a few episodes, they're going to be very saucy. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to hold up a bottle of Heartbeat Hot Sauce. This is the uh, Blueberry Habanero. We use this religiously in our house. Actually, this morning, this is crazy. Um, I made, uh, I sliced up a whole wheat bagel. Yeah. I put peanut butter and bananas. That's like one of my go-tos for breakfast when I want something hearty, especially because it's been so cold here. And I put some Blueberry Habanero on it. Dude, so good. So good. So, you know, you think you're going to only need hot sauce for wings and stuff like that, but no, Heartbeat has something for everyone. And um, it really, really is great stuff. The Heartbeat of Rockman Power Hour. So if you use our promo code ROCKMAN20, you'll get 20% off your entire order. Uh, You like Heartbeat, right? You love Heartbeat. Uh, Listen, um, I authentically ran out of Heartbeat hot sauce. (laughs) You know, some people are sponsored by things just because they get paid. And that's just really sad. Like that joke in Wayne's World. That's not the case. I I swim in this. I, I, I'm going to do this and I don't, I know where, I know this is a show and I'm taking valuable time, yeah. but I'm, I've got to show the authenticity of my heartbeat hot sauce love. I'll be I, right back. Absolutely. And I will use descriptive captioning for those of you who are just listening. Jason rides a dragon shirtless, his muscles glistening in the sun. Ah, he holds up. These are all sword. going on right now in the fridge. Look, <laughs> this is straight from the fridge. Okay. Like this is used yeah. in our house religiously. My kids are so happy that we're involved with Heartbeat that um, this is this is the real deal, dude. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I love the idea of – look how my dill pickle is like at the end here. No amount of optimism can say that these bottles are half full. <laughs> There's no half full here. No. I need more. <laughs> so, And if you haven't tried it yet, promo code ROCKMAN20, 20% off your entire order. Do it. Got to thank the good folks at Studio House Designs. Uh, My microphone's always in the way, but I'm going to show this. I love this shirt, okay? This is the Toby Hooper stack. Look at this. That is is quite a sight. Yeah, yeah, Studio House Designs, actually, the VHS 
box. The, the VHS stacks. Like, he's the dude, man. Like, that's that, Cody's design. That's their signature. You know what I mean? That's like, Cody's design. Yeah. And so many motherfuckers on the internet have stolen that, but that is him who originated that. There that you is go. him. He is the VHS stack man. And um, so, yeah, check him out. Green Room. Oh, man. Very Green cool. Room. Such a cool movie and such a cool company because. Do you know, I've never seen Green Room. Really? No. I feel I you'd it. really like it. Patrick Probably. Stewart plays like a white supremacist. It's oh, yeah, and it's one of it's one of Anton Yelchin's last movies. So, Oof. God, Anton Yelchin. Let's just take a minute to remember that talent. But speaking yeah. of talent, Glenn Matlock, one of the most oh, talented, yeah. oh, naturally talented members of the Sex Pistols. Oh, you want to talk about these sweet mics? Yes, and AKG. Uh-huh. We got to thank AKG. Thank you, AKG. Uh, we love these microphones. And uh, the headphones and we, everything's sounding great on the podcast. So th- big shout out to them and shout out to H1 Media who also did the intro for our podcast um, for that hookup, our buddy Shy. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Enough thank yous. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of it. Glenn Matlock. Glenn Matlock. He's uh I don't think the sex puzzle would have gotten as much done as quickly as possible without Glenn kind of being that glue, that musical glue, because he's such a versatile musician. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's gone on to play like after the sex pistols, he's played with everybody from Iggy pop. He's, he's currently playing in Blondie and Blondie is not exactly like a show up and pluck some notes. Like that's a disco band. Okay. And disco, yeah. if it's known for anything, is for you can't suck at bass in order to play it. Well, okay, I'm, I, I don't want, and I don't want. I'm not trying to call you out, but the Blondies, the, yes, they had a disco-ish period, ah, but they have, yeah. but they've got funky bass lines. There you go, definitely. There's yeah. some funky bass going on in there, and I think with when you're playing with Blondie, you've got to be, you've got to be versatile. You need that a heart of glass sure. and a <laughs> finger of iron. <laughs> <laughs> But Glenn has all that. And his new album, Consequences Coming, uh, is going to be out April 27th on Cooking Vinyl. The new single is called Head on a Stick. Uh, that came out on January 27th. Great song, too. I really, I mean, I genuinely really, really like this me, record. Me, too. It is, I wish I actually thought to tell him that, but I was like, I'm talking to a sex pistol. Yeah, I know. I, I probably sounded a little stupid sometimes. But that that song, that track explodes with energy. Like from the, there's no one, two, three, four. Like as soon as you push play, it almost takes you aback. Like it's it's there. It started. Yeah. And it's a night. It's a good production, too. Like a wall of sound. And oh, just yeah, going, they're yeah. just going for yeah. it. And it's fun because when he comes on, um, you know, you and I usually have some stuff in the background and he comes on and he asks, what's all that stuff behind you? And then he shows us his Thunderbird plane collection and then he pulled out some other great stuff during the interview. So it's, it's kind of fun to have somebody that's at that point in their life doing everything they've done and they're still playful. Um, and still has a passion and doesn't seem to take himself too seriously. So I like that. I like that. I like having, um, I like having people on that, 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 that still have a lot of passion, but still are, you know, firmly have their tongue planted in cheek. <laughs> there you go. Well, I guess we should, uh, I guess we should play the interview. Let's do it. Here is our conversation with Glenn Matlock. How you doing, Glenn? Nice to meet you. I'm Jason. This is Ryan over there. I don't know where he is on your thing, but he's he's somewhat over there. He's the blonde one. I'm the bald one. How do you do? <laughs> hey, right. You Ryan? You're Ryan. Hi. Jason. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Glenn, do you know each other? Do we know each other? Yeah. <laughs> oh, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Pretty well, yeah. <laughs> Not intimately, but we know each other. <laughs> All right. All that stuff. You, you, got lo- you got loads of Japanese kind of... Yeah, so I'm into um, I'm into uh, vinyl toys, and this is uh, Ron English. 
who is uh, Ron English is a, a pop culture artist from from New York, and he does. Uh, he was the one that did. I don't know if you ever saw the documentary Super Size Me, um, where the oh, guy right, ate McDonald's yeah. for thirty days. Well, he was the one who first made the fat Ronald. All right. Uh, well, I'm impressed you got that. But look what I dug out the cupboard just over Christmas. Okay. I'm, I'm, can, you, can you see those? Oh, what are those? Oh, wow. Those well, are cool. Have you heard of a thing called Thunderbirds? Of course. Yeah, of course. It was like a kind of a puppet show. But this was before Thunderbirds, supercar. It travels in space or under the sea, and it can journey anywhere. Supercar. Supercar. And then Stingray came after after Thunderbirds. And Fireball XL5 was before Supercar. All well, I know is that somewhere out there there's a living creature in distress. I can't let that call go unanswered. We're in the wrong order, but I got them in in um in order of kind of size, but they're quite good. They're like diecast models. So basically, you're one of us. You're a bit of a nerd, too. Ish, ish. Ish. I'm really, uh, really grateful you took the time to chat with us today. Obviously, you've got, uh, you you know, you've got a new record coming out in April. Um, you've got a new song that's been released about a week a week and a bit ago. And you've got a bit of a history, a bit of a pedigree when, in, in rock and roll and punk rock. You've, you've done a lot. So at this point in your in your life and in your career, what what gets you up in the morning to want to continue making music? I mean, I'm sure you, you could just say, ah, I've done it. I, I, I can move on. I could do, but one thing I found in my life, and it's not a bad thing, but you, people kind of want to pigeonhole you as a guy that did that a long time ago. And yeah. I don't want to be the guy that did that a long time ago. And I still write songs. I don't force myself to write songs, but they sort of just appear sometimes. And then you kind of get an idea and it drives you mad. And unless you sit down and work it out and put it on a tape or a CD, you can't think straight. And when you, especially when you get a few ideas and when that happens over a period of maybe a year or so, you've got an album. Right. So you play them to a couple of people and they go, that's rubbish. And you know that they're wrong. So then you're on a quest to prove them right. And then off you're off again. And that's kind of what happens basically. And I sort of juggled out in between getting asked to do other things, you know, like last year I was trying to get my record out and it was all kind of going to go with one label and it went tits up in the end, but um, I'm not going to go down. I'm quite happy now that I'm on cooking vinyl, but out of the blue, Clem Burke called me up and, he's, and I've known Clem for ages and he said, they got a Blondie tour coming up and they need a bass player. And I said, when? And he said, next week. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff like that tends to happen. Right. And, I just kind of roll with it, you know. As an artist, I'm I'm a songwriter and I like presenting my songs. But as a kind of a, a workman, it's not very rock and roll this, but I'm gonna let you into it. I kind of see playing bass as a bit a bit like being a, a good plumber or a carpenter, you know, <laughs> school. Oh, you want some bass on that? You know, when a guy comes around the house, he just fix your I think you caught a furnace over there or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I can fix that. It'll cost you. <laughs> And I like playing bass when somebody else is singing. And when I'm singing, I like to play the rhythm guitar. It was always my first instrument. Because when you're playing bass and it goes down to the bass and drums and you're trying to get the crowd to go like that, you can't let go of the bass. Right. So you like the trigger. But when you play the guitar, you can blam, you there, and blam, <laughs> you there. You need point. You know, in soccer, if you watch the the centre forward or the, one of the strikers who play up the front, they want the ball there and they want the ball there and you want the crowd to do this and the crowd to do that. 
So it's kind of like that, really. Sounds a bit daft, but I do approach my music with a tongue-in-cheekness, even though I think lyrically I'm making some good points. Well, I think it's really, I think it's great how you, that analogy, I've never heard anybody use that analogy, but it makes complete sense. You know, the bass playing and you filling in as a bass player is like a trade. I mean, it's something you're good at. It's something you can do. It might not necessarily be um, your first love or something that you, you you're, you're running towards as a first choice when you get up in the morning, but the fact that you're good at it and people of a certain level are still calling you, it shows that, that there's something to it. And, yeah, you know, and the other thing with bass playing, you know, I've never aspired to be Stanley Clark. I think the best thing about bass playing is that it's just right. You know, I, I like James Jameson, you know, and all those Tamla Motown records. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of pretty straightforward, but there's a, a few cool bits in there. I can do a few cool bits every now and then. Maybe not quite as good as him, but you can do that. I, every now and then, I'm mates with Zach Starkey and he's got some project going and all that. And I said, why do you keep calling me up all the time? He said, well, when you play bass, it's just right. You know, so <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And if Debbie Harry's calling you, um, you know, uh, I'm sure they have their pick of who they could be calling. So it's it's still got to feel good that you're getting the call. Maybe, yeah. But also, you know, I think Clang recommended me because we've done loads of projects together over the years. Sure. Some good, some a bit airbrained. But, you know, you feel an affinity with, with somebody. Similar age group, same kind of, um, I say similar age group because he's a bit older than me. <laughs> 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 you know, and the same influences, cult, sort of, yeah. Sure. And in fact, Clem plays on a couple of tracks on my album. I got my normal guy, Chris Musto, plays on most of it. And then towards the end of making the album, I had a couple of newer songs, and it was still in lockdown then. And mm. we wasn't really supposed to go in studios. And in America, it was a bit different. And Clem could had access to a studio, just any man with an engineer. And he, he played, put some drum tracks down for what's turned out to be the first song on the album which is head on a stick which is a single that came out last friday over yeah. here and the last song on the album the ship which kind of sort of bookended what i was trying to say in the album really i'm glad you brought up head on a stick uh heard it this morning and uh glenn i've seen you play in montreal a few times actually we've We've met before, but I was amongst many people, uh, and uh, you were lovely to everybody that night. But um, I've seen you play these acoustic shows where you did a retrospect of all your songwriting from all the various bands, whether if it was the Rich Kids or the the Faces or, well, of course, Sex Pistols. And um, it was really cool to see how much you had accomplished since the Pistol days. But I had, up until this morning, never really heard you sing and play with the full band experience and the energy and the and the attitude and it's something I realized that touches upon all your songwriting. There's from the pistol days to currently, there's still that Glenn Matlock signature attitude underneath all of it. And it's this connectivity between it. Do you find that uh, after all these years of writing songs that you still write songs like, you know, you? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really analyzed that. I know when I try and write yeah. a song, especially lyrically, I, I, I try and write a song like I'm having a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the words I choose is what you might, you know, if I was talking to you now, but I had a guitar in my hand, I'd be doing that. And of course, it's got to rhyme a little bit. My yardstick is I liked all the beat groups and small faces and all Tamla Motown. We mentioned Jamie Jameson before from the 60s. I think that's the perfect blueprint for a pop rock song. You know, it's that three and a half minute slice of 
whatever it's supposed to be about and all, all the time and stuff. I mean, some of those songs are like mini operas, you know, they're, they're just condensed kind of story with a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, I'm not very much of a jammer, especially A, I'm no lead guitarist and B, if you're a bass player, it's a bit boring doing, um, you know, 12-bar blues for half an hour, you know, <laughs> shine off, you know, I'd rather go and have a coffee and a cigarette outside somewhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's... That's it, you know, every now and then I've got something that's on my mind and a song comes out. So there's a theme to the record. It's not, it's not a, you know, like a rock opera or anything like that. But um, what did I used to call it? A concept album. But, you know, I think an album. I, I, I kind of miss the album format. Which yeah. used to be. And it's like where an artist's at a particular point in time, you know, and it spans the period of it being made and when the songs were being written and the songs initially we were being written when they had, had the whole Trump debacle in the States and we've got Brexit over here in England and it's lurched to the right wing um, for no real apparent reason and all these people saying that they're the men of the people and they're not, they've just all got vested interests. So I'm kind of railing about that really and I, I think there's a small chink of light at the very end of the tunnel and I can see for some of these people that there's some kind of consequence coming who's doing it, I hope so. And I think they should be brought to account. And um, anyway, that's what Head and the Sticks about. So there you well, go. and and you know, and and it's funny because um, when I when I saw the album cover and I listened to the record and, and the title "Consequences" coming in, it just and I know it's like sonically it's different, but it just brought me back to uh, when I would listen to an artist like Billy Bragg. You know, Billy Bragg. Okay. Would, you know, B- Billy Bragg would write and 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 it's very similar in the sense that he would have a conversation. He would be talking about something that was passionate and 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 it just gave me that kind of a vibe. Okay, fair enough. I I like Billy. <laughs> I find him a bit tub thumping. <laughs> he is, he is. He is a bit he gets up on the soapbox a bit, but but it just and, and kind a, of a bit sort of preaching to the converted a little bit. I try to be a tiny little bit more general so right. it doesn't go over people's heads. But, you know, the record came out. I mean, it's not top of the charts or anything, but I've been doing a lot of press over here, and I did a BBC breakfast show beginning of the week, and it's really struck a chord. I can't, I went viral for the first time for having a go at the powers on the BBC. So I didn't mean to. I just spoke my mind. Yeah, so I, I think it's an abrogation of responsibility if you're an artist and you can get your record on the radio every now and then, and you don't use that time to say something... It's worthwhile, right? On the other end, if I could write a silly love song that, so you know, what's that? Kyla Minogue one, do 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 da ba, you know, sell millions of copies. Yeah. I do it. I can't do it. Yeah. I, I was watching an interview with um, Bob Dylan. It came up online, and some guy was like, he might have been an older interview talking about songwriting, and he he was saying, you know, he wrote all those songs years ago, you know, like. They're all the famous ones, like Rainy Day Women and, and yeah. the Hard Wind's Gonna Come and stuff like that. He said, he can't, I can't write a song like that now. That was some other guy who did it. And it was a phase he went through and he's tried and he can't get back to that. So you kind of evolve. Some people do. Maybe I just do the same old thing over and over again. I don't know. But you, but you do have, um, you are rooted in, um, in, in, in writing music a bit about rebellion. I mean, let's face it. Um, well, rock and roll should be about rebellion. That, really, you know, this is this is as rebellious as it gets, and this is the birth of of a lot of uh, of a lot of people's careers. I mean, you know, it, it's great to hear the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees were announced, um, and uh, and you know, 
th- that story of of how Joy Division the two members met at a Sex Pistols show. Um, I yeah. mean, that's it's yeah, but don't blame me. <laughs> no, no, no. I know you. I know, and I know you. But I'm just saying. But your music was still being played, and uh, the reality is, is that you know y- you've been ground zero to a lot of artists creatively. So, um, so something has to be. Yes, yeah, something has to be said about that. Yeah, what are we going to say about it? Good for them. <laughs> it's a jolly I good. When when you look at stuff like uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, you know, obviously being a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, as a, you know, as a. a, You want to say something? Yes, I I do. (laughs) Jason, that's your thing. Everybody you talk to seems to have these incredible things in their collections that they Uh, get inspired to pull out. There you go. Okay, wow. Hold that. That's a first. Okay. Yeah, Sex Pistols Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm not really supposed to have that, but I got it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, John, and it was funny because I knew the guy at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I forget his name now. He was a lovely bloke. He was like the archivist. Mm-hmm. And I said, "But look, we're not really supposed to have it, but I would be there. Can't you just send it to me? And he said, well, we can't really do that, Glenn. It's like, you know, you got a beer. And all right. Anyway, I did a tour, one of those acoustic tours, and I did a double head thing with Sylvain Sylvain, and we ended up in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did a show and this guy interviewed him. I wish I could remember his name. And Sylvain presented me that, right? But we was on tour, right? We was driving around with guitars and merch, you know, and bags and all that. I picked up and it's really blinking heavy. I said, I can't lug that around with me. And the guy who I'd asked to send it to me, he said, oh, don't worry, we'll send it to you. And I was like, well, after all that kind of thing. So they sent it to me in the end, but I had to be there to sign this avid habit that I wasn't going to put it up on eBay. <laughs> that's great so um when so when you see um you know bands uh paying tribute to you and that are you know a, a band like you know joy division is it does it make you happy i mean are does it make you say well you know my music has 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 blossomed into you know it's it, and the same thing happened for you too when they would go back and they would say well we listen to joy division so there's it's funny how you see that tree you know that branches off into different areas yeah well i think Music is really, we were supposed to be a sea change of music, but I think that's a load of nonsense. I think music is like a baton race, you know, and the people before, you take the baton off of them and you play and then you you give it to the next people. I mean, the other side of that, do I get a buzz out? It all depends if you like Joy Division or not. <laughs> yeah. um, your time in the Pistols, you can definitely tell when you were the player and when you weren't. Uh, you know, Sid was a nice fellow, but wasn't exactly uh, up to your musical caliber. And you could definitely hear um, your stamp on the Sex Pistols with actual bass lines, like in Pretty Vagant and Anarchy of the UK. Yeah. But um, famously speaking, everybody always thought that you and Sid had it out for each other. But it turns out that you were actually you were friends and you actually played a show together. Right. Well, we was kind of. I'm not in terms of acquaintances. He, he lived around the corner from me, in fact. It's dark now. If you look out the window, there's. I live in this house, and out the back is a muse. Do you know what a muse is? It's where people used to have a whole big house. That's where used to, they used to keep their horses, right? Oh, yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a stable. stable, and over the years, people live them and all that. But Sid used to live over the back, so I'm kind of <laughs> overshadowed by Sid even to this day. But he was a neighbour. The pistols were broken up by then. I used to bump into him in, in the local pub. Then. He said, well, you know, people seem to think we're enemies. And I said, well, we're sitting here. And he went, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. Hey, hey, we could do a gig. And he went, oh, that's an idea. Who would we get? And I said, well, 
could uh, get Steve I'm, I'm my band of rich kids at the time Steve knew he was a fantastic guitarist um, could get Rat Scabies who'd actually fallen out with a damned at the time and he had a side band called the White Cats and said and he said well who's going to play bass and I said well Sid look I'm not going to sing and he went oh well who's going to sing then I said, how about you sing? And I play bass. He went, oh, okay. <laughs> And that was it. And we just did a gig for a laugh. And we just did all cover versions. And we put the word out. And that was like, say, on Thursday. And then the next Wednesday, we did the electric ballroom. And back then, word of mouth was pretty cool. Yeah. And we sold the place out. And in fact, I think that's where I met Clem and Debbie for the first time. Because they were in London. And you would see them out and about. You know, when a band's on tour, you can't. When you got a night off, you can't sit in your hotel room. And they would go and check things out. So I think I remember seeing them there then, you know, and the guys, what's it, the guy from St. Lizzie, the bass player, what's his name? Oh, yeah, God. I'm, uh... I forget, Phil, Phil Lennart. You know, yep. he was there and everybody was up to high drinks, but it was a laugh. So, yeah, there you go. And, in fact, there's a guy called Rob Dickens who um, signed me to Warner Chapel Music and then became head of WA in Europe. And I went to see him, I don't know, 15 years ago with some tapes I'd made and stuff. And he went, well, it's all right, Glenn, but it's not the best thing you've ever had. And I said, well, you know, we can't live up to the Sex Pistols all the time. He said, no, not the Sex Pistols. I said, oh, then. He said, that Vicious White Kid gig you did with Sid. I said, but you thought that was good? He said, it was so exciting. I said, well, why didn't you say so at the time and, and sign us up? He said, well, the other side of the coin was that you was also out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we were. Um, you know, when you look at the the uh, the way rock and roll used to be with all the excesses and you know, all the casualties that we've seen over the years, um, what do you attribute to your longevity um, to be able to, you know, to make it out the other side? And, and you know, you, you look great. You sound great. Uh, the well, music's I know, great. I look great, thank you. But um, and I kind of look after myself now. I used to go, I was never a drug kind of person, um, but I did drink too much. But when I was doing Reviggy a long time ago, and it took a long while for him saying this to me to sink in, but I thought, you know, when you're drunk and you think it's kind of funny to wind somebody up a little bit, and then mm. when you're drunk, you don't realise you said it two minutes ago, and you say it again and over and over. And he got really annoyed with me, and he said, Glenn, he said, you're out of order. Iggy Pop said it to me. He said, the American people will not stand for your kind of behaviour. The American people will just not stomach it. And that's the Iggy Pop telling me off for being so out of it. And I thought, ooh. <laughs> so that kind of sunk in after a bit. But, yeah, I've been clean living for a long while now, apart from a cigarette every now and then. That's my only remaining vice. And coffee. Yes, coffee is very important. Um, yeah, I, I, I too, am, uh, am someone who doesn't drink. I've been sober 30 years. And, um, well, about the same for me. That's and it's, you know, it's, and it's something for me that um, I think, you know, a lot of people, especially younger artists, you know, they get caught up in this thing and it's normal. You know, you're, when you're a bunch of guys or, or girls getting together and, and you're playing music for the first time, usually you're in your teens, you're, you're, you're discovering alcohol, you're maybe smoking a bit of pot and it's a reason to get together. And and, and, yeah, so and, and, of- and also you're probably a bit shy yeah. Don't have much confidence, and I don't know what you call it in Canada, but we say when you have a drink for a bit of Dutch courage, hundred you know, percent, yeah, it brings you out yourself, you know. So well, all that, but, yeah. But when you don't have to get up in the morning, you know, you don't have to get up in the morning. You stay up a bit too much longer, and then you struggle to get up in the morning. And it, 
it, it, it switches. It becomes that thing that used to be fun. And, um, but, but, but what, what a lot of artists will get caught up with when they're young is that, well, I need it to be creative. And the thing is, I've never been so creative since I'm sober. You know, I, I was more creative and did more sober than I ever would have done if I would have continued drinking. So, uh, I yeah. think that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a, uh, yeah, a cop yeah, maybe, um, maybe. I just thought I sounded better when I was drunk. When I was sober, I was like, this is how I sing? Oh, God. Oh, well, yeah, listening back to it, but then you become a bit more of a perfectionist. But but anyway, so, you know, good for you, and Billy, for me. Um, I don't go on about it too much. You know what? I saw some TV show with Ringo Starr was on being interviewed with, I think, Michael Aspel, and it was a long stop to all that, and he was going on about it, and he was really boring. And I thought, yeah. I don't want to be like that. You know, so I don't make a big song and dance about it, but if somebody asks me, I'll yeah, try. yeah, but we're, yeah, but we're Canadian. We find all the accents like musically wonderful. We're like, oh, everyone sounds so interesting. But yeah, if I hear some Canadian guy go on for eight minutes, I'm like, oh God, shut up, Dudley Do Right. <laughs> um So the, the new album is coming out April 27th. uh Will there be some tour dates announced as well? Well, we're working on that now. And okay. Now I'm, it's kind of, it's great I'm doing the Blondie thing, but this I did want this to be out of the tail end of last year. didn't work out like that. So now the Blondie thing's coming up. So I might be doing something probably in the UK in May. Okay. But the Blondie stuff finishes at the end of June, and then I've got all the rest of the year. So right. hopefully, you know, I love coming to Blondie in, in Canada. Um, be nice to have you here, and and you're you're going to be playing on the new Blondie record as well, right? Yeah, we recorded wow a new album. We recorded a whole bunch of stuff in New York, and what you say, autumn or the fall? Well, both, but we we'd say fall or autumn, both. Right, but well, I call it autumn. But we did yeah. it in the fall in New York, and I just put the rhythm tracks down with Clam, um, and it was sounding good. But I I haven't heard any of the finished stuff yet, so I'm sure it's, they all know what they're doing, you know. And Debbie's really good singer. When when I started rehearsing with him, this was in in Hoboken, and the sound guy said everything all right. And I said, yeah. I said you could turn Debbie up, and he said, well, it's pretty loud. Can't you hear it? I said, no. I just like listening to it. Turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is. Uh, I mean, listen, she's uh, she's a legend, and and um, uh, it's funny. There was a, a, a Basquiat exhibit in Montreal, and um, he was so there in that whole moment when when all that when music was changing and, and yeah. stuff was going into hip hop, and it's just to see all those old pictures of Debbie and 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 that that New York nightlife, it just looked like it would have been a lot of fun. To well, be. there you go. You know, I mean, I'm just going now, going back to the good old days, but the Pistols, you know, it you can't take away the importance of the scene, and it, you know, the art and the photographs and the fashion and the music all feed into each other. Well, you know, and it's a springboard for people bouncing ideas off of people. So, yeah, you know, I was in New York in the early 80s when that that was going on, purely mainly because of playing over Reggae Pop initially. And what, another thing that's quite interesting was people forget this. They're, do you remember a guy called Freddie Laker? Yep. Yeah, Laker Airlines, like really cheap flights. Well, he went out of business, but it forced all the other airlines to do like standby fares and things. Yeah. And New York was full of English people and London was full of people from New York. It's kind of weird. Before we let you go, I just really want to ask you, um, because we have, you know, his name has been brought up a couple of times. Uh, Can can you remember the first time you met Iggy Pop? Um, Yeah. Yeah, When my band, The Rich Kids, folded, because I... Midge, yeah, and Rusty Egan wanted to kind of 
do this other project which took off with Steve Strange and that was like the birth of new romanticism. Yeah. Right? And I'm being a rock and roll band. It kind of split the band up. Long story, I won't go into it, but I broke the band up. And this is in the days before mobile phones and even probably before answer machines. So we're talking about, yeah, 1979. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought to myself, God, what am I going to do now? Wouldn't it be great if the phone rang? I'm not kidding you. Two minutes later, the telephone rang. I picked up and I said, hello. This is in the middle of the afternoon. And this English guy said, hi, is Glenn Matlock there? And I said, yes. Who are you? And he said, well, you both know me. My name's Peter Davis, but I manage Iggy Pop. And we're here in town. And um, we'd like to meet up with you for a drink. And I said, who's buying? And they said, we are. And I said, I'll see you very soon. <laughs> and next thing, I was on tour with Iggy Pop. You know, so that's how it happened. But what had happened really was the guy who was the Rich Kids agent knew that the Rich Kids had folded. Right. This guy called John Giddings, he's got this agency called Solo now, and he's probably one of the biggest bookers in the world. He was also Iggy's agent. So he knew, and Iggy was short of a bass player because the guy who played bass on the New Values album, which they was going to tour, was going to play second guitar on the tour. So they needed somebody. Me, but I'm, I'm really glad I did did it. I wish I'd played with him a bit longer, but if things happened, you know. But it still must have been pretty, it, it was, you know, so many people will see Iggy Pop, um, you know, look, staring at him from the front, but it must have been amazing to see him doing all the stage antics and being the front man that he was from behind. It must have been quite a treat to see it from that vantage point. Yeah, you know, and it was, again, you know, by doing things like that, you're just a bass player, but now kind of, I'm singing and all that. You pick up little things out of work, a crowd, and, you know, he's Iggy Pop, but he's kind of pretty pro as well. Then it's a thing, and he probably picked up stuff from hanging out with Bowie. He was a bit of a past master or all that kind of thing. Right. So it's kind of good to move in those circles. It helps you up your game a little bit. Well, um, you've definitely moved in some incredible circles, and uh, I'm really excited for people to hear the new record. It's called Consequences Coming. Uh, it's out April 27th on Cooking Vinyl. Thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with us today. All right. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, and nothing but continued success. And keep collecting your uh, your, your stuff, because you. I love the fact that you're passionate about stuff. I think that's great. Yeah. It's kind of... Um... I should, I've got most of them. It's a Thunderbirds one, but there's five of them you got to get, and I'm a tight one, and I can't decide which one to, to get. So I'll, I'll just have to let that one go. Well, if anybody's listening, uh, Glenn is looking for, uh, you, you have three and you're looking for two more? I've got three. I think probably a Thunderbird one. If all right. So if anyone's got a Thunderbird, a Thunderbird one. One, two, three, four, and five. And they all had different attributes and did different things. Five was the, the Orbiton Space Station. Thunderbird 3 was the rocket that went up to it. Yeah. Uh, Thunderbird 4 was this big green thing with a pod that had different things dropped out of it, you know, to save the day around the world for, you know, some kid was stuck down the coal mine or, and then it had Thunder, it had another one, Thunderbird 2, I think. Was that Thunderbird 4, which was yellow, which looked like a tractor without any wheels and went <laughs> underneath the water and had like a thing on the front. And then Thunderbird 1 was like the Space Age rocket that took off and it had swing wings like an F-111 but went up. Right. So there you go. So wait, what about this show was that fascinating to you? Was it the 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 planes and the ships or the fact that it was puppets pilot, piloting them? Because Thunderbirds and 
all that is a very fascinating specific piece of uh entertainment and, and how many of combat puppies it was real <laughs> I just out of respect, I was gonna go. All right, I'm not gonna say anything because maybe he really thinks it's real. <laughs> Have you watched I, I, Team I America? Know. I just like the designs, and it's part of my childhood, and it's yeah, kind of, of hanging hanging onto my youth somehow. You know, that's what it all is with all these things. We're hanging onto our youth by, yeah. by spending a lot of money on nonsense. <laughs> Sex pistols were my thunderbirds, apparently. So that's great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Glenn. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care, man. Hey, thanks a lot. Bye. I'm sure Glenn Matlock, who was named Matlock his entire life, didn't ever think that there was going to be some sort of like a North American TV show about a rather elderly lawyer. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, no. that's the thing. You know, when you have a when you have a um, a distinctive last name like that, and anything happens, um, it's like you know, I, my name's Jason, right? My entire life, people were coming up going. Ch -ch -ch like ah. it's you know hockey masks all that fun stuff i know but your um, your last name's rockman and it's a really good thing that you enjoy rock music because it would just yeah. be ironic if you hated rock oh gee yeah. look look who came into frame you see that no it's june hi june it's a What's dog it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a dog's tail okay yeah. she needs cuddles yeah listen i i i'm very you know i i i don't have a bad last name that's for sure i know that most people think my last name's fake yeah. Which is funny. Which is funny because yeah. my last name is fake. <laughs> <laughs> and I've managed to convince people it's real. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Stick. Yeah, yeah. Except my good friends. My like, you know, everybody with stage names or whatever, like it's always their good friends are just like, that's not your real name. <laughs> You're not your name's not Iggy Pop. What you talking about, Bob? Yeah. Well, my name's yeah, my name's really my name's really Jason Rockman. Um, thank you so much for uh, for joining us this week on the Rockman Power Hour. Uh, if my left hand seems a little occupied under under the table, I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. I'm petting my dog. Uh, if you're watching this and if you're listening, carry on. Uh, thanks so much for joining <laughs> if you're us. Just uh, listening, that's not innuendo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks to uh, Heartbeat Hot Sauce, the uh, heartbeat of the Rockman Power Hour. Definitely check out our promo code Rockman twenty, uh, and it'll give you twenty percent off their entire order. This is one we haven't talked about a lot. Uh, this is the uh, Lion's Mane Piri Piri Heatness Number Four. What a fancy name for a hot sauce! And this one um, is great, as you can see, it's been used quite a bit. I think I'm going to start bringing out the uh, the used Heartbeat hot sauce bottles to show the authenticity of our love for Heartbeat. So use our promo code Rockman twenty. You'll get twenty percent off your entire order. Also, thank you to Studio House Designs for making us look fresh. And uh, thank you to AKG for um, for making it sound good. I got to say, AKG, you make some nice headphones because I put on some other headphones on my ears the other day. And yeah. I was like, what is this filth I've been living in before I knew greatness? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like when you get something fancy and you're like, wow, this is what quality sounds like. So thank you to AKG. Thank you to our uh, producer, Julia Kajerski. Thanks to my co-host, Ryan Stick. And thanks to all of you. And please like, subscribe, um, leave it in the comments. Anybody you'd like us to have on the Rotten Power. And, uh, and if we can get them on, we will do just that. And again, thank you so much for spending time with us. And we'll see you next time on the Rotten Power Hour.